Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you'd like to support the ministries of Rancho Church as we advance the cause of Christ together, you may do so at rancho.tv slash giving. Enjoy. All right, so as we get started today, I want to ask a question. Here's the question. If you were to describe your relationship with God right now, what words would you use? What words would you use to describe your relationship with God? You might say, you know what, at this point in time with this crisis going on, uh, I feel trusting. Uh, God is sort of my rock during this time of crisis. Uh, you might think, I feel close. Uh, you feel the presence of God in a very real way. Uh, God might be your comfort during this time uh, of stress. So you might have a walk with God that feels pretty good right now. He, he feels close to you. He feels comforting and bringing you peace. Others of you might have to be honest and say, you know what, my relationship with God right now, at least how I feel about it, isn't great. I feel God is distant. I feel maybe confused about why all this is happening. I feel a little anxious. I'm not necessarily trusting him the way I want to. It just doesn't feel quite right. Now, this might seem a little odd to you, but as we continue the study of the parables of Jesus, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven, Jesus compares our relationship with God as a massive house party. Seriously, a massive house party. Now, you might look at this image and say, all right, uh, this gives me a little anxiety because a massive house party is kind of close and there's no social distancing going on here. Um, maybe this, this global pandemic is not feeling so much like a party. I totally understand that. Uh, but keep in mind, when Jesus was calling the kingdom of heaven and our relationship with God a massive house party, things weren't going well for him either. This was a time of deep stress even for Jesus. He was rejected in his own hometown. He was rejected by political elite, rejected by the religious elite. He was rejected in, in, in the city of Jerusalem, the capital city of his people. He was constantly threatened with death. I mean, he was kind and compassionate. And so people, commoners were flocking to him, which made the political elite and the religious elite very uncomfortable because he was becoming more popular than them. And he was offering freedom. He was offering liberty. He was offering hope. And so for the political oppressors and the religious oppressors, the last thing they want is common people to feel a sense of hope and feel as though they have a purpose and a cause. They, they might rise up and they might want to you know, enjoy life and enjoy each other and enjoy freedom. And so they, they had to come down hard on Jesus. They wanted him dead. So here's the question. Why would Jesus... Describe our walk with God as a massive house party, even when surrounded by difficulty. Why would he do that? It seems like such a disconnect. There were so many troubles and struggles around the life and ministry of Jesus. Why would he talk about the kingdom of heaven being a house party? Well, we'll discuss that. And he frames this in terms of a parable, what we call a parable, what the Hebrews called the mashal. The mashal was a story. The mashal was a familiar story with a hard-hitting punchline meant to change our minds or call us to action. That's what the mashal was all about. And so there's this scene that is unfolding around Jesus about people flocking to Jesus, coming to Jesus, people who were normally excluded from matters of faith, yet they were coming to Jesus, this man of faith, this man of God, this man who even claimed to be the son of God, his doors were wide open and people were flocking to him. And so even though there were difficulties surrounding Jesus, the way there are difficulties surrounding us right now, the kingdom of heaven, those doors were wide open and everybody was coming. And, and Jesus shared a parable to describe the heart of God, the heart of God to open his house to everybody and to create this massive house party. So here's the parable. A man prepared 
a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. Uh, Blame the wife. Uh, I do. It's pretty fun. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. These are the people that were considered to be unclean. And so after the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. This massive house party. So let's first talk about why Jesus told this story. Just to kind of set the scene, Jesus was invited to celebrate the ending Sabbath dinner. Now to give a little background, the Sabbath is the Jewish day of rest, the seventh day of rest on a Saturday, and they ended that day of rest with a big meal. And sometimes the the political or religious elite would invite people to that final meal. And they would celebrate the end of the day of rest and the beginning of a work week. And so in this instance, a Pharisee, a religious leader, invited Jesus to come to this dinner. And, and this was a little stunning because that dinner would be for those who were high-powered. The Pharisees had a lot of religious power, so they ruled basically the day-to-day lives of the Jews. And so it would be like being invited to dinner uh, from the mayor. The mayor of the city would, would invite you over. There would be dignitaries there, people of, of influence, people of wealth, and then Jesus. Now, Jesus was a peasant. Jesus was a commoner. Jesus was known as the man of the people, and so he was a little bit out of place already. Now, on the way to the Sabbath ending feast, so it was still the Sabbath, it was still the time of rest, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. Now, if you know anything about Sabbath law, you can't do any work on the Sabbath. And and so Jews had thousands of laws about what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. Well, you can't practice medicine on the Sabbath, but Jesus healed a man. And it created quite an uproar. In fact, Jesus did this on several occasions and, and it created such an uproar that people wanted him dead for, quote, breaking the religious law. So here is Jesus, the son of God, the fullness of divinity. Uh, he's the author of these laws and so he knows the spirit of the law and the spirit of the law is to take care of people, not to worship the law, not to worship the rules or submit to the rules, but submit to the heart of God. And that's what Jesus did. And the heart of God is always to care for people. So even if it's on the Sabbath, Jesus says, I'm going to work. God is working and I'm going to heal this man. Because love was the only law Jesus really cared about. So after Jesus healed this guy, he gave a quick lesson about always putting ourselves kind of in last place and always living a life of service to one another. And Jesus says, if you put yourself last in this life, you will be rewarded in the next life. And so Jesus says this. He says, hang around the poor like I did. Hang around the sick and the outcast because true love is serving people who cannot give anything in return. This is the context of this parable about the massive house party. Jesus said this in Luke 14, 4. 14. He says, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. And so at the time, 2,000 years ago, and is still much the case today, a lot of what we do is, is kind of a, a, a tit for tat. It, it's a quid pro quo. It's, it's I do this for you, you do this for me. And that's just a lot of life. It's very 
kind of normal. Sometimes that's how we size up relationships or if we do something for somebody, there's a little expectation that maybe they'll return for us. But Jesus says real love is about giving time and attention and affection and value and honor to people who will never be able to return that to you. That's what true love is. And so in Luke 14, 15, uh, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, he was excited about this truth. He says, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. He's all excited that Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven as this great feast. But what was in this man's heart was probably what's in a lot of our hearts, which is basically this, that this great feast will be for me and people just like me. That's very common. When we think of what God likes and what God prefers, it's very often what we like and what we prefer. And so when we think of kind of a great feast in, in heaven, and that's primarily what Jesus was talking about, uh, he, this great feast in our minds are for people who believe the way we believe. And this is very common in the Christian faith that, that only the people who are gonna be there are the people who believe the way we believe. And, and not just other Christians, but other Christians who are kind of in, in my tribe and, and, and believe sort of the fine points the way I believe them. And the people who are gonna be in that great feast are gonna be as faithful as me or people who value things that I value as though what we believe and what we value and, and our definition of faithfulness is somehow God's preferred definition. This is typical of religious culture. Now, I was the king of this when I was young. Um, the early part of my faith journey was really steeped in a teaching called Lordship Salvation. And Lordship Salvation essentially says this, and this is a phrase that I heard a lot. If God isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. Now that's kind of cute, and I kind of grabbed onto this because I was a young sort of Christian church zealot, and, and I really do dove into this. I'm going to give God my all. I'm going to be radical for God. I'm going to be sold out for God, and, and so I did what I thought I needed to do, and I got deep into the, into the Bible and deep into Bible study and, and deep into you know, just kind of helping around the church, and it was my personal identity, which is what I needed at the time, coming from a little bit of a, of a rougher family life, and so it was really good for my soul to be committed committed so intensely to something, and it just so happened to be church, and just so happened to be God. And so I got this sense of pride, and I got this sense of arrogance that, wow, I'm really striving to honor God. I'm striving to study his word. I'm striving to, you know, obey all the religious rules. I'm striving to meet the expectations of the, of the church around me. And so I set myself up as kind of the standard, right? And everybody else that didn't meet my standard, I kind of judged them. You know, that others weren't uh, making God Lord of their lives the way I was. Now that's how I came across. But on the inside, I never really believed that God was Lord over enough of my life. I always felt as though I needed to give God more and more and more. So when I prayed, it was this long list of regrets. God, I'm not doing this right, not doing this right, and not doing this right, and hoping he would forgive me and making commitments. I'm gonna do this better and do this more, making all kinds of commitments to follow the religious expectations better. And so I understand what it's like to be both, I would say, a bit of a victim of these high religious expectations, but then also being a perpetrator of high religious expectations. So as burdens were given to me, 
I gave those burdens to others early in my ministry before this grace awakening. And so I understand what it's like to feel this separation from God, to feel as the, the people who were deemed unclean in this story, sort of the outcasts. I understand what it, what it feels like to not consider myself good enough for God or good enough in religious circles. I get that. But I also get what it's like to tell that to others. You're not good enough. You have to do more. You have to do better. That's what God wants of you. This is to create a barrier between God and mankind that doesn't really exist. It, resists, it exists in religious circles only, but not in reality. So this is what Jesus was trying to push through, that religion was erecting barriers between God and man that aren't really there. And, and sort of inventing ways and rules and, and systems of doctrines and obedience to earn our way to fill that gap. Jesus came to say the gap isn't there. Now, very often in times like this, you know, we're in a, in a global pandemic, very often religious people can be at our best and help others, and we're seeing that all over the place. But religious people can also be at our worst. I'll just give you a few examples. When the earthquake hit in Haiti, a lot of Christian leaders said this was some kind of judgment of God against spiritism in, in Haiti's history. Well, what a terrible thing to say. And this is, this is the religious people during times of crisis creating increased barriers that God is somehow judging through a natural disaster. That was Christianity at our worst. And I remember saying, I know exactly why the earthquake hit. It was because tectonic plates shifted. And then when Katrina hit, there were a lot of people, again, Christian religious leaders, who said that Katrina hit New Orleans because God was sort of judging them for their hedonism. What a terrible thing to say, creating barriers that aren't there, creating a sense that God is judging, right? Well, we know why Katrina hit, because warm, moist air circles when it rises over the seas, creating intense and violent storms. It's not God's hand of judgment. And then here we have the coronavirus uh, pandemic that we're experiencing. And already here we are a couple weeks into, into the, these sort of quarantine periods. And what do we see from religious leaders? We see religious leaders saying this is some, some sort of judgment of God against the idols of our culture. Once again, religious people creating barriers that don't exist. We know why the COVID uh, crisis is upon us, because there was a mutated COVID virus that transferred from, from the animal kingdom to, to humankind, and then it spread through natural causes. And, and so let's not do what religious people normally do and create further barriers and further wedges and further judgments uh, that somehow we speak for God, that God is somehow judging through natural events. And, and I'm telling you, this is Christianity at our worst. We can do better than that. That's why Jesus tells the story. Because he has to correct thinking. The, the, the improper thinking is that somehow God is just eager to judge and condemn. And, and religious people are there to sort of help God judge and condemn. So Jesus had to correct the story and says, no, God is like a homeowner who has his doors wide open and invites everybody to come. And when God says everybody, he means everybody. So in this story of the great house party, the homeowner is God who wants his house full of people to enjoy being with him now and forever. That's the point of the story. 
And so God gives a first wave of invitations. And as God gives that first wave of invitations, uh, it's, it's akin to God first going to the Jewish people. We read in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Covenant, that God made a deal with the Jews. He says, listen, I'll bless you if you take my commands and you live a civilized life. You know, you respect each other. You respect your neighbors. You live a life of, of honor, nobility, and you will live a blessed life. I'll bless you as a nation. This is the deal that God made first with the Jews. And so when, when we see in this story, in this parable, in this Mashal, that God is like the owner of a house who's throwing a massive house party. He first invites the Jews. He first invites the Jews. Now, the, the Jews make a lot of excuses, and in the story, there's a, a lot of interesting excuses. Um, one person says, you know what, I bought a piece of land, and I have to go inspect it. Have you ever bought land that you didn't inspect first? It's a bogus excuse. Oh, yeah, I, I bought land, and now I have to go see it. Well, that's bogus. Uh, another person in the story says, well, I bought five pairs of ox and I have to go try them out. Would you buy five pairs of ox? This is like, you know, buying, you know, five Lexus. Would you, would you buy these cars? Would you buy this equipment? Would you buy these ox without first seeing them? It's a bogus excuse. And then another one says, well, I have a wife now, so I can't come. That's ridiculous. Bring your wife. And so here we have the excuses in this story. They're totally bogus. And um, now... Some of us, if we're invited to something we don't want to go to, uh, hopefully we'll come up with better excuses than that. You know, uh, you want to come over to my house for dinner on Friday? Oh, well, you know, I'm busy. Well, then we'll reschedule. Well, I'll be busy then too, right? At least come up with some excuse that makes some sense. These excuses don't make any sense. I was invited by a friend of mine to go to a, a Megadeth concert in Reno. Now, um, growing up, I was a big fan of, of heavy metal, and I was a heavy metal drummer. I know, you know, double kick, you know, the 13-piece. Uh, anyway, it was all, all, all good. And so I was invited to this Megadeth concert in Reno, and um, I didn't want to go. Now, I like this guy. I love hanging out with this guy, but I didn't want to go to a, a, a concert in Reno. So I said to him, here's my excuse. I'm, I'm too old for that. I'm 50 years old. I'm too old to go to a Megadeth concert. And he sent a text back saying, well, you're as old as the band, uh, the, the, the players in Megadeth. They're about 50 years old too. So my excuse sort of fell apart. So when Jesus invites this first wave into this party, there's a lot of lame excuses, lots of lame excuses. And Jesus understood that. He says this, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. This is the first wave of invitation God sent this invitation to the Jewish people, come and enjoy me, enjoy being in my presence, enjoy being forgiven, enjoy knowing that I look at you as my dearly loved daughters and sons. But even his own people, the Jewish people, rejected Jesus. So Jesus knew that was coming. Now, why would people avoid a party? Parties are kind of fun, right? There's food, there's drink, there's good you know, kind of camaraderie together. Why would people say no to a party? Why would people make excuses not to come? Well, maybe they don't feel a connection there. They don't feel a relationship. They don't share the same values. Maybe they don't like the host. Maybe they don't, they don't feel comfortable in, in the host's home. Well, that's, that's the Jewish people. In fact, we can broaden this a little bit and to say, Religious people typically don't feel comfortable in the house of God. And I know that sounds strange, but that's the entire context of the life and ministry of Jesus. Religious people didn't feel comfortable around Jesus. That's the odd part of this. And Jesus is the full expression of God. 
religious people don't feel comfortable around God. That's the whole point here. And so who are the people who feel most uncomfortable in the house of God? It's religious people. Now they're performing all their religious duties in all kinds of churches, but they're not in the house of God. See, a church building isn't necessarily the house of God. The church building can be, not all the time, but a church building and, and religious orders and religious rituals and religious doctrines and religious commandments can be the thing that most separates people from God. That was true during the time of Christ, and it is true now. It is true now. Jesus said this in John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Now, typically when we hear about the world, if the world hates you, when we talk about the world, we usually talk about people who sin greatly. And I'll let you fill in the blanks about how religious people judge people who sin greatly. And, and so religious people are, are very good at judging the world's sin. Well, who hated Jesus? It wasn't those who sinned greatly. It was the religious elite. They hated Jesus. So when the Bible talks about the world, it's not talking about those out there who sin greatly. It's talking about the religious elite who tend to be self-righteous and who tend to just build these, these barriers between God and men and lay burdens on people as though they have to perform for God to earn any kind of standing with God. Religious people create barriers that don't exist. Jesus is about flinging open the doors of heaven and inviting everybody in without barriers. And so because of that, the world, religious elites, hated Jesus. So the greater sin is rejecting people that Jesus came to accept. I want to repeat that. The greater sin is rejecting people Jesus came to accept, that he came to love, to serve, to invite, and to welcome into the house of God. That's the greater sin. Those are the people that Jesus confronted. So if there's any Pharisee in us, if there's any religious leader in us, we've got to be so intent of, of extracting that out of our soul, to pray to God, Lord, if there's any religious elite in me, if there's any self-righteousness, if there's any condemning sort of spirit in me where I think I've got it together and I believe all the right things and I've got the values of God and I'm gonna judge other people who aren't like me, that's Phariseeism, that's the world, that's the greater sin. Sin. We've got to free ourselves from that. Jesus frees us from that. Matthew 23, 13, this is when Jesus is just unloading on the Pharisees. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. Scathing criticism Religious leaders, hypocrites, judgmental people, you are creating barriers. You're shutting out the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, I came to fling the kingdom of heaven wide open. And so this house party that Jesus talks about is wide open to everybody, including the unclean. Including the unclean. Now, I put unclean in quotes because that was the term 2,000 years ago. People who religious leaders thought were, were dirty. And certainly, those were the people they labeled sinners. Uh, they just tagged them sinners. They made mistakes. They weren't living, you know, kind of a lifestyle in line with, with their interpretation of God's law, right? And so they labeled them unclean. They would label sick people unclean. 
there was sort of the superstition that if you're sick uh, or if you have a handicap, then God must be judging you for some sin, either your sin or the sin of your ancestors. So they had this weird religious rule, stuff that still exists today as we talked about with, with Haiti and Katrina and the coronavirus, just still that old religious superstitious stuff, right? And, and so those were the people labeled unclean and those were the people that Jesus went to. He says this in Luke 14, 21. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. They had rejected and made excuses not to come to the party. This is that first wave as a religious elite reject the invitation of God. His master was furious and says, now go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the handicapped, the blind, and the broken. Go invite everybody who is considered to be unclean. Now, maybe some of you can relate to what it's like to be considered unclean in religious circles. Maybe you grew up in, in sort of a religious background and you remember being judged. You remember being condemned. You remember never feeling as though you're good enough, right? And you were always thinking there must be something wrong with me and there must be some distance between me and God and you weren't meeting the expectations. You understand what it feels like to, to feel as though you're disappointing God or disappointing others. You are the person that Jesus went to and befriended and loved and forgave and embraced and accepted, right? And, and invite you to this massive house party. Anyone who is interested in experiencing the love of God, experiencing the forgiveness of God, experiencing that camaraderie and that unity with God and unity with other brothers and sisters in Christ, that kind of house party is for everyone. The doors are wide open, even if you have been sort of called unclean or the implication is that you're not good enough or you felt guilt or shame before God and before other religious people. This is for you. This party is for you and the doors are open and just come, just come. This house party is for the unclean. This house party is also for those who are far off. Keep in mind in the context, 2000 years ago, the Jews thought they were the people of God. They had a lot of pride, they had a lot of arrogance. We are the chosen people of God. Well, Jesus says this massive house party is for everyone, even those who are far off. Luke 14, 22, here's the story. The master said, now go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. God wants everybody, not just the Jews, but everybody to be the chosen people of God, Jews and Gentiles, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And in fact, even in the Old Testament, even in the Old Covenant, God says, yes, I'm starting with the Jews, but this promise, this party will be for everybody. Hosea 2.23 uh, to those who were not my people, I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. That's the great promise. That's the great hope. The great vision of God's promises is, is that it's not just for the Jews. And it's not just for the religious elite. They tend to even reject God's grace and rely on their own good works, right? And then judge people along the way. This house party is for everyone, even the unclean, and even those who feel far off. Not just for the Jews all tribes, all tongues, all nations. And then finally, the house party is going to be very full. The house party is gonna be very full. A lot of times in religious circles, we like to think of a remnant, kind of a small faithful few. 
The Bible is not really interested in a small, faithful few. The Bible is interested in everybody, everywhere, coming in to this massive house party, which is the kingdom of heaven. Everyone is invited. God wants this thing full. You remember in the story, Luke 14, 22, the servant reported, there is still room for more. So, so after the first wave of rejections, the servant goes out and says to the unclean, come, and they start coming. And they're filling the house, but there's still more room. Then God says, go and get more. Get every tribe, every tongue, every nation. I want this place full more and more and more and more and more people. Every once in a while at Rancho, I'll get a comment, you know, are you just interested in, in numbers? I mean, we're a fairly large church and, and there's a lot of people here and, and sometimes there's that sort of criticism that comes and, and I understand it, right? And, and the answer is no. We're not about numbers. We're about people. But if you count the people, you realize that there's a lot of people coming to Christ. There's a lot of people entering this massive house party. There's this incredible invitation, doors wide open, just come and experience God's unconditional forgiving grace through Jesus Christ. Jesus laid his life down to pay for the sins of the world, and so those doors are open and anyone can come just as they are. Enjoy God's forgiving grace. That's more and more people coming. There's still room for more, and I will tell you right now, there's still room for more. There's still room for more. And the invitation is to come and enjoy this party. This is a party of inclusion. The house of God is wide open and includes everyone. Everyone is welcome. This is a house party that is a warm embrace. Not only inclusion, but a warm embrace. It's a relational party. It's not just this stale sort of religious, you know, wooden lifeless thing. It is about relationships and people and this warm embrace of everyone who comes. It's about enjoying God, enjoying God's grace. He just gives us forgiveness. He gives us a relationship with him. He gives us eternal life. We just receive this and we enjoy that. We enjoy true friendship. Religion shouldn't be about people walking around nervous about meeting religious expectations and pretending as though we're doing fine, we're good religious people. It's about true friendship that says, you know what, I am struggling and I am doubting and I am anxious and I am hurting, just like, like a, a good healthy family would, to be honest, to be vulnerable, to be open with each other, always enjoying the grace of God and always enjoying true friendship, enjoying a common identity, in Christ, we are all children of God. We are daughters and sons of God. We are our brothers and sisters of Jesus himself, according to Hebrews chapter two. That's a common identity in the family of God. So when we come to faith in God through Jesus Christ, it is like walking into a, a big family reunion, a healthy, vibrant, loving family. We get to enjoy a common culture. There's a culture in the kingdom of heaven, and it's a culture of love. It's a culture of love that says as Jesus laid his life down to serve us, we're going to lay our lives down to serve each other, and we're going to lay our lives down to serve the world around us. It's a culture of love, and that is not a burden. That is a pleasure. And then to enjoy a common cause. What we say at Rancho is to advance the cause of Christ. Whatever Jesus did, we want to do. What was the cause of Christ? This story, this parable, this mashal, tells the heart of Christ. It is to be the announcement 
that these doors are wide open, that everybody is welcome to come. We're not gonna manage your sin. We're not gonna manage your doctrines. We're not gonna manage your obedience. We just want those doors open and we want you to come and we want you to be a part of a community of inclusion with a warm embrace, enjoying the grace of God, enjoying true friendship, enjoying a community identity, a common identity in Christ, enjoying a common culture of love, enjoying a common cause. And together in that massive house party, We will walk a journey of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, more and more loving, more and more generous, more and more of a servant to our neighbors and a servant to the strangers around us. This is the journey of following Jesus. It's a massive house party. And here's a question we'll close with. Do we have to wait until we die to enjoy this? Sometimes we think of the kingdom of heaven, we think, okay, it's a place I go and I die. Well, fortunately, there is a place after we die. There is an eternal home in Christ surrounding the throne room of God. It's a place of eternal peace. But we can enjoy this house party right here and right now. Even when things around us are in distress. There's a global pandemic that is weighing every single country and nearly every single community. And there's a certain stress, a certain anxiety, a certain fear of what might be coming. But even in the midst of the distress, we can enjoy being a part of this house party because it's a, it's a spiritual thing. It's a relational thing. It's about a connection with God that is real and vibrant and alive. It's about this enjoyment of his grace, this enjoyment of each other, this common culture of love and this common cause to serve one another. It is a pure pleasure, even in the midst of a pandemic, a pure pleasure to enjoy the great celebration of God in Jesus Christ. And so my question for us today is, which of these characters are you in this story? Are you the one who made excuses and and rejected the invitation of God? There might be a Pharisee in you. There might be a, a judgmentalism in you. There might be an arrogance in you that loves to judge and loves to create barriers between God and others. This is the time to repent of that great sin. Repent simply means to turn from that great sin of spiritual arrogance and hypocrisy and judgmentalism, to repent, to turn from that sin and receive the heart of God. The heart of God that is about receiving and giving unconditional love and forgiveness. So maybe you made excuses not to be in God's great celebration of grace. Now's the time to stop the excuses and to say, you know what? I don't need to prove anything to God. I don't need to be obedient enough or, or correct enough or righteous enough or religious enough. I'm gonna get rid of that whole religious system which Jesus died to kill. And I'm gonna rise again to a new life of grace and love and forgiveness in Jesus. And so maybe you once rejected that invitation of grace and now you can walk right through the doors of that great party. Maybe you were considered to be unclean or far off and you felt distance from God. Today, right here, right now, you can celebrate walking through that door of that great feast, enjoying God's grace and forgiveness in your life. Or maybe you can be the one giving the invitation. This is the person who is sometimes forgotten in this mashal, this parable of Jesus. The one who is sent out to say to the world, the doors of heaven are wide open and you can come just as you are. Maybe you could be that servant. Maybe you can be the one giving the invitation and you could do it right from the comfort of your own home. Maybe if this message right here, right now has touched your heart, maybe you can share that with people. You can be that voice of invitation. Hey, hear this message, hear this good news, hear this gospel of grace and love and forgiveness and hope and optimism in Jesus Christ. 
you can be that one sending the invitation. Invite people to, to Facebook, invite people to uh, YouTube, uh, slash Rancho United. Invite people by your own love, by serving them, by comforting them, by being the peace of God in their lives. Be the messenger. Be the one who invites the world to enjoy this massive house party of God. Would you pray with me? Our God and Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness through Christ Jesus. Thank you for this parable, one of many parables that Jesus equates the kingdom of heaven to a party. And even though the circumstances around us can be difficult, including this pandemic that is weighing so heavily upon the world, even in the midst of struggle, there can be this great sense of unity with you, this great celebration that we are united with you by your grace through Jesus, who gave his life to forgive the sins of the world and rose again from the dead to bring new and eternal life. And thank you that we get to celebrate that resurrection uh, here in just a couple of weeks through Easter. God, we receive your great love. We receive your forgiveness. It is free and we take it. You require nothing of us but the faith to understand that we are in a good relationship with you that's unbroken and unbreakable simply because we believe what you did for us through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.